Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is Sunday, the uh, 28th of February. Is it a leap year this year? It's not, right? No, last year was. Is yeah. it? It's an even year. Wait, it's 2000. I, oh, it's 2021. I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually 2020 forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you even realize that 2020 was one day longer? Uh, that would be a good tweet, like a good 2020 <laughs> tweet. Um, yeah, what a dramatic day. I spent most of the morning <laughs> in a fight with the Asian American studies professors. But it but yeah, started I don't know. with like a tweet about anti-Asian violence and Asian and black relations, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And my only point, and you know, I hope that this is not misconstrued, but I also think I wasn't as clear as I could have been, is that my only point was that, look, when you're talking about this and the two most high profile incidents are videos of black people shoving old Asian people, that the way that this stuff is going to be discussed within Asian American communities or Asian immigrant communities is very different than like, you know, we must fight against white supremacy or these are Trump supporters, right? They will frame this within a history of black and Asian conflict that, you know, 92, whatever. And a lot of the in immigrants who are talking about this don't even know about 92. They don't know about Latasha Harlins, right? They don't know about like a uh, lengthy history of conflict between black and Asian people. And my only point was that I think that to have an actual constructive way to deal with this, with, with what's going on is a, we have to be honest about the depth of the, of, of the sort of discord between Asian and black communities, you know, like in major American cities and B, we need to also frame it correctly that this is what it is. We can't say it's about Trump supporters. We can't say it's about Trump saying Kung flu or the China virus. Right. I mean, do you guys believe that it's about that at all? I don't think it is. Uh, I honestly have no idea what it's about. Based on that article we read, it was just sounded like there's no motiv no motivation in a lot of cases. Right, right. Yeah. And in this case, I think it is somebody who is very mentally ill yeah. in Oakland, at least, who attacks a lot of people. Now, this isn't to gaslight and say that this isn't a problem, right? This isn't to gaslight and say that the p person whose face was slashed in New York City for no reason, that's also random. Like, you know, like when you say everything is random, then you really are sort of gaslighting in some sort of way. But I will just say that it's hard for me to believe that there is some massive spike of black violence against Asian-American people in, in, in the United States. And what we're seeing is that we're seeing videotaped evidence in a tense political moment that makes it seem like there is a real trend of upward violence, when in fact, this type of violence has happened throughout, right? And that um, the attitudes towards the violence are totally interred, not discussed, but they are very deep-seated. And that... What we can't do is have this moment like we had after 1992 when a whole bunch of Asian American academics and black academics started holding summits and they constructed this narrative that the entire black Korean thing was a media narrative, right? Oh, don't pay attention to it. It's just the media saying this. It's just the media saying it. And you're like, look, there is a 10-year-old girl who was shot dead or 13-year-old girl who was shot dead in a convenience store and is dead, you know? There are buildings burned all over Los Angeles. Like, you know, like it's not a fucking media narrative, right? We have to talk about it. Like we have to discuss it within economic, racial terms. We have to talk about it in however way, but what we can't do is put our head in the sand because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about and blame the media for it. We have we have actually substantive things to talk about uh, this, this week. And I think we're gonna go kind of long on this because it's something, Tammy, I know that you have done a lot of work in the past about, um, you know, even like a lot of the stuff that you wrote on it was before we had even met, you know? So this is not, um, this is, this goes way back with you. Um, and 
Uh, it's something that has been in the news quite a bit, and I think that it's something that I'm sure the listeners are aware of, but I, you know, I'm not sure if you, you know, like me, I think it's something that maybe you caught in passing or maybe you read a couple articles about, but, you know, we want to go a little bit deeper this week. Um, so it is, yeah, Tammy, why don't you just tell us what happened? Like, what, what, what is the controversy right now about comfort women and, and the Japanese government and this, uh, this Ramsire guy? Yeah. So there's a professor named Ramsire at Harvard Law School who published a paper starting in December. I guess it really started circulating more in late December, early January um, and was in the Korean news, but didn't really enter the American mainstream until quite recently. Um, But essentially, he puts forward as, quote unquote, history, the idea that all comfort women, comfort women was not a structure of, um, you know, labor indenture or slavery or whatever terms you want to use. It was, in fact, um, just kind of run of the mill prostitution that is adjacent to any sort of society or colonial incursion or war. Um, And the documents that he marshals were quite mysterious. Um, He had, for instance, you know, some um, quotes from different papers, including one that asserted that a 10 year old girl could contract willfully to become a prostitute. Um, which doesn't really make any sense. And anyway, so this caught the eye of a bunch of historians, scholars, activists, um, and of course, the Japanese and Korean governments. Um, And then this week, Jeannie Suckerson probably wrote, I think, the longest like analytical account in a popular uh, forum in The New Yorker, right? Yeah, who and she works at Harvard Law School. And so does her husband with this guy, Ramsire. Um, But Andy's good friend, um, who he'll talk about. Um, she was part of um, a cohort of progressive, act- I don't call them activists, progressive scholars, um, you know, all over the world who were signing on to different letters. But the one that she was a part of does the most dive into kind of looking step by step at all of his assertions. So, Andy, do you want to talk about Chelsea's work? Yeah. But wait, wait, before that, I have oh. to do my, I have to, I, before I do that, I have to do my, uh, in our time, <laughs> Melvin Bragg thing. Okay. Be like, Tammy, Tammy uh, but, okay, okay, okay. But right. what, what, what is, is a really comfort about? woman? Yeah, yeah, really <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we kind of skipped over that. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, during like Japan with the West's permission, colonized Korea, which was unified then in 1910. Um, and then during World War II, there is a well documented, there is a well-documented body of literature around the fact that the Japanese both indentured, you know, wage, like quote unquote, wage laborers in factories and other sort of physical labor settings were mostly men, and then had a sort of parallel system of labor in which they conscripted young girls and teenagers to man what were, what are literally translated from the Japanese and Chinese characters as comfort stations. Um, and they are therefore like euphemistically called comfort women, wiyambu in Korean, ayanfu in Japanese, same word. Um, that was then reclaimed by the women, which is why we often use that term now. Um, and the system was basically buried and nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, the girls that were then liberated upon um, the end of World War II went back to their families and tried to build lives. But, you know, it was obviously extremely shameful and painful to talk about. And a lot of people died and were physically maimed forever. Um, The estimates from historians are between the tens of thousands and upwards of 200,000, the majority of which were Korean, but also Chinese, also Dutch, also Philippine, Filipina, because Japan's reach, the empire's reach was so vast throughout Asia. And 
these women were were sent all over the place. So some of them were working in what is now China. Some of them were working in what is now Taiwan, Japan. You know, so um, so it's a very very complicated system. And you know, the discourse. So we should first say that the reason we know about this is because in the early 1990s, a comfort woman named Kim Haksun stepped forward and said, "Hey, this happened to me," and that、mm-hmm. unleashed this whole test, like cascade of testimonies. And that was supported by wonderful historians in Korea and Japan. I'll credit Yoshimi Yoshiaki, who's an extremely important Japanese scholar who really risked his career to come forward with the evidence that he had found. He was the first to unearth real documents like ship ledgers that marked that the women were essentially tallies in line with like supplies, like food.、Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, he's always been one of my heroes in this.、Um, But the Japanese government, because of the way the Tokyo Tribunal went down after World War II, has always been able to deny this because they were never pushed like Germany was to account for anything.、Um, yeah. So anyway, this has been the basis of, you know, huge amounts of back and forth between <laughs> Japan and Korea in particular, but also Taiwan is in the mix, North Korea is in the mix, China is in the mix, you know, Philippines. This is like a totally whole East and Southeast Asian、yeah. thing that will not really go away because nothing has been resolved since 1993. But also, Tammy, can I ask you a question? Like, you started writing about this in 2006, right? Like, what was what was your personal、yeah. interest in this? Because it's now been 15 years, you know.、Um, That's true. You're not to date. Not, not、so、to、old. date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like embarrassed.、Um, I don't I was, know. I was you, were you, were, were, were you a law student at the time, or was... I was a law student, and I thought I would.、Okay. I was trying to be like a legal academic or something.、Mm. Um, so I was doing some academic publishing, which probably now reads horribly. But、um, yeah, so in college, I don't know if this was true for you guys, but comfort women and like. North Korean refugees. There were like some topics that were very popular among like the Korean diaspora, <laughs> and、Definitely. for like yeah, yeah,、no. you know, for like young Korean、yeah. feminists, this was always like an intervention point and kind of like an awakening point, right? Like along sure, with playing、uh, like tango or whatever.、Yeah. Um, so I was totally stereotypical in that <laughs> it's regard. Like having pot potluck duck fucky. Yeah, and, exactly. And comfort, about comfort. We'll play some puma, and then we're gonna watch this like heartbreaking video about like comfort women, you know? So like that was completely my jam and. You know, in college, we had a couple of comfort women who were organized to come and give testimony at school, and that was incredibly moving to me. How could it not be? So anyway, I followed、yeah. the issue, and then during law school, spent a, a good portion of law school basically trying to do some scholarship on it.、But、anyway,、um, yeah, and it's just continued. And I, you know, there's so there's so much good literature in every single discipline around this, from like every kind of like East Asia scholar, and it's just really galling and awful that this guy would. Would write something so heinous,、um, you know. I think it comes at an interesting time in terms of East Asian relations and Japan's sort of domestic politics specifically, which I think Andy's going to get into. But you know, I think it goes without saying that people in East Asia are absolutely obsessed with Harvard and think that like <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you write something from being at Harvard, there's no way you could possibly be wrong and you're God and stuff. So that's why this is causing like more of a kerfuffle than it otherwise would. Well, it's also interesting because, like you know, like the centrality of it, of of comfort women within the diaspora is also interesting to me,、totally. right? Because, like, you think about it, it's like so many, like in terms of just literary fiction, right? Let's just take、yeah. literary fiction,、mm-hmm. right? So, P- Pachinko, which you know, Min Jin Lee, who's a friend of the podcast, totally, I think. She's a friend of me. Least, <laughs> you know, she's a friend. I don't know if she likes the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, we admire her. And yeah. Yes. So Min、yeah. Min Min Jin Lee wrote、um, Pachinko. 
Chang Ray Lee. Yeah. I don't think he's a friend of the podcast, but I, you <laughs> I know, wish. it'd be great if he was. You know, he wrote a novel about a, a gesture life. It's about comfort women as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. And also, um, I wrote out Jack Heller's book, Comfort Women. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. It's like really a great huge. Novels. I would say that like of the of the diasporas tr- attempts to understand their place like within a structure of imperialism and international whatever right like you know where did i come from and exactly. what happened in that country that and in other countries that explains where my condition this is sort of the central issue of it i think right like that if you're a korean american especially i think if you're a korean american woman um that this is sort of how you this is like a like you said it's like a um, seminal event learning about this, like in your life, most likely. So, yeah. um, yeah. the sensitivity about it and, and, you know, cause I think some people might say like, who gives a shit that some fucking dude at Harvard just wrote a paper, right. like, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, that was my first response, you know, <laughs> as like, that's your, that's your life. But that's, though. <laughs> no, I know, but you know, <laughs> exactly. exactly. It somehow inflamed all my priors, which is to dismiss anything that comes out of Harvard, anything that has anything to do about oh that's written by an economist, you know, I'm just like, whatever, I don't give a shit. And then, but then I was like, oh wait, you know, this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. So I don't know what, like, wh- why do you guys think this is a big deal? Well, do you guys like, remember, you know? I'm curious, do you guys remember um, when growing up, when you first heard about it, was it college or was it from family um, earlier or? Like, is it talked about amongst Korean Korean American families? Well, Uh, because the, I mean, for Jay and me, it came out when we were in high school. The news of it, period, right? So, yeah, I mean, Andy's (laughs) eyes are like, damn, y'all are old. Um, Anyway, but um, so basically, I was going to say, so it was really only a few years between the revelations and when we were in college. So I think I found out about it when I was in college. I mean, it's like people our parents' age actually knew about it because they probably knew people yeah. in their villages. The numbers had, are huge. You know, the like... numbers are huge. Like, if you, especially yeah. in the upward estimates, but yeah, but it's you know, no one talked about it if it wasn't like yeah. in your family. So anyway, so college but, for me. I don't yeah. know about you, Jay. My mom told me about it when I was okay. in high school, I think, and she. But I wasn't really listening at the time, you know. <laughs> but now that you mentioned it, Andy, I thought, I, you know, very quickly thought back. And I was like, oh, yeah, my mom did explain this to me when I was in high school. Oh, this is gone. She was, she was very upset. And, but, and I think it was because she had realized that there were, you know, that, you know, people that she knew most likely or, mm. you know, maybe people who had uh, maybe that her mother had known had, had gone through this. But um, I don't know. It's interesting because her, her family narrative is so centered around the refugee status from North Korea, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and moving down to South Korea um, and and the war. And so yeah. I don't know. I think that it was never that it was never really brought up. And also, yeah, if it had happened, I think if she if this news had come out when I was much younger, it would have been discussed much more. But it was so new at that point yeah, and i was exactly. like in high school well, your parents you know, what am i gonna listen what am i gonna listen to my mom about in high school you know like, your guys' <laughs> parents would not have been born in world war ii that's the other thing right yeah yeah so i they're, said they're my parents generation yeah. but yeah slightly old, on the older end of that or their parents exactly yeah. Yeah. Right. well i don't know i mean my parents born in 1950 so um at the end of world you know it's it's not like it's not like it's not like people that they know or their parents would have wouldn't have yeah, yeah would right, have right, right. would have been completely alienated from this sort of practice right or, or wouldn't have known it's not yeah. like it happened a hundred years before they were born yeah it happened but the like comfort women weren't their peers 
yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yep, yeah. Um, it's not like they're uh, schoolmates or anything like that, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, so let's let's get into the actual controversy then. So, like, what what did this uh, what did this Ramsire guy actually say? Am I pronouncing that right? Ramsire. <laughs> I think so. Ramsire? Also, the other thing is, I don't know about Ram- Tammy. I did not okay. actually read his article. I couldn't really do it. Um, yeah, I've, I've read about started, it, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was read like, I read game. all the responses. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I read the game theory part because I'm very interested. Oh in my gosh! Theory, but most, <laughs> oh yeah, we should, we'll get into that too. The disciplinary yeah. kind of modality that he, anyway, um, in yeah. Korean, like because there's been a lot of so many Korean articles about him. They they spell it out remjio, remjio, ah, but I don't know yeah. if it's like remzier. Or whatever, but Ram. that's how the Koreans maybe it's are calling Ramsier, it. Yeah, I, yeah I don't know. I think Ramzai. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we're like whatever. We don't have to pronounce anyway. it correctly. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, what like what's a con? Uh, you know, I'll ask two questions. The first question I'll say, and um, this became front page news in Korea for days, right? Like, I mean, it was a huge scandal there, much bigger than it is yeah. here. And uh, why was it such a big scandal in Korea? Like, this is just some dude writing an article, right? At some level. I guess, yeah, I'm curious, Andy, what you think. I mean, for me, I think it's two reasons. One, there had been a successful comfort women compensation case that had just come come through the Korean courts and where in which a number of victims were awarded, I think about $92,000 each. So this, these, these cases have been going on since the early 90s, since as soon as people came forward. Yeah. But um, but it was a, a you know, considered a real victory for comfort women, at least symbolically. Obviously, Japan is not showing up in their default judgments against them. Um, uh, okay. So it was just around that time that that case came out that this article published. And and then I, my second reason is just Harvard. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think. Um, so how, so how do we, I we don't. So the I think the situation, the conditions under which this article was published, are still being unearthed, and that we don't really know the full details. But it does seem like there was like a rollout. <laughs> like uh, there's mm-hmm. this Japanese website called Japan Forward. I should also say. So as Tammy mentioned, I talk. I'm friends with at least one of the authors of this long document that was put together by. Uh, many historians, uh, Amy Stanley at Northwestern is the most senior. I'm friends with Chelsea and classmates with Sayaka um, Tatani, who is also an author, and I think Hannah Shepard and David Ambarso are the other two. And Hannah Shepard was kind of the one to kind of helped organize it at, at the beginning, I think. So I've, I've heard a lot about it from Chelsea at the same time. It's still kind of ongoing what's happening. So they don't necessarily like, like, I would be great to like for them to come on the show and talk about it, but yeah. they want to kind of wait to see like what the response is first. So they don't want to shit talk, but the three of us, on the other hand, are totally free to shit talk uh, <laughs> yeah. during, during this podcast. Yeah. So I will talk. I will. I will give a few like things I've heard, but I, obviously this is just us talking, not not Chelsea. But um, so she like tipped me off to like there's these websites called Japan Forward, which is seems like a right wing English language right wing website, and we can get get into like what is the Jap- Japanese right wing? That's its own mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, where he has like several articles over the years on that website. And there was like a, you, you know, it's, it's, it's an academic article. So no one's going to read it unless, you know, people are tipped off to it. So there was, yeah. like, a, there was like a rollout on this like uh-huh. very public website about, um, and the context was actually Ramsay are talking about, I think a recent decision about wartime labor, right? Like I think Mitsubishi or one, Mitsubishi. Of these, yeah, yeah. one of these Japanese companies was ruled in by the South Korean courts that they have to pay kind yeah. of rep- reparations basically mm. for the wartime labor. Um you know, basically like, like analogous to slave reparations in the United totally. States context, right? And it was in the context of that conversation 
uh, where he's like, I don't know what's gotten into these Koreans, which is like his answer <laughs> the entire time. And by the end, it's like, what about this comfort woman issue? I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it was like, it's like, we all know that it was consensual and there's contracts and blah, blah, blah. And so that, I think that kind of gives a bit of a context of it's part mm-hmm. of a larger, um, I don't know what to argue, like a larger front of arguments mm-hmm. to deny claims yeah. um, of the Korean side. So comfort woman is the major issue that has claimed headlines, but there's also things like wartime labor Definitely. Um, that we talked about. Um, so there's interesting an- analogies, honestly, for like the U.S. audience who's like, you know, what is the context or what is the how do I mm-hmm. relate to this? I think it is similar to the sort of 1619 debates in this country um, and also the sort of increased nativism or right wingification of a lot of the world th- that we see right now. And this is sort of the, the East Asian specific version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, so yeah. sorry to go back to the original question. I think the context of the article is, um, you know, Tammy already explained it. He's trying to prove that not that they he's not trying to deny that these young girls perform these sex acts. Right. Um, um, but he's trying to prove that they were doing it voluntarily. And it was therefore there's therefore like it was legal. Right. Yeah. It's like. Right. And the the crux of his argument seems to be essentially that if empirically that prostitution follows military. Right. And that there's always voluntary prostitution around mm-hmm. military uh, until earn that within that if you that there's not he says there's not much evidence outside of all these people saying it happened right and out of, outside of this like sort of contracts that that do get produced and outside of like tons of testimony saying that it's real he says all that you know is just anecdotal and that what you really have to look at is essentially does this happen does this follow other patterns of history <laughs> exactly right? and if it and that if it does or if it doesn't then you have to conclude one thing and then he also is essentially making this argument that like people were economically incentivized to to sort of be prostitutes and therefore they must have been willing prostitutes and that's sort of the game theory (laughs) element to it yeah which i don't know it seems insane to me you know it's like the and then but then he does and then he does sort of look at a lot of or he does sort of include very very biased japanese testimony right mm-hmm. essentially denying that it happens and then he concludes that that's fine but all the korean people and all the japanese people who said that this happened are all lying right yeah. um yeah but there are no documents unhinged. also it's yeah, bad right. history like it's, there's no underlying documents yeah he's found he's found documents before wartime and he's just yeah. like assuming that there must be more during the war and that's so that's what i should say my friend it's like they're five historians so their approach was as historians as a sort of like purely you know, fact-checking mission. We're just going to go through all the sources and they find all sorts of crazy inconsistencies. He, he quotes one line right after another line that talks about how they were actually forced into doing it. So it's out of context. Citations to pages that don't exist in books. Uh, right, right. Sources that don't exist. Which leads, I think, yeah, speculation seemed... about like, wow. Did he even Why? do this? Did he even do this own research? I guess that's a that's an open right, question. Right, right. That's a good question. Because like, the genie's th- piece, um, which I was mostly about, you know, it was it was an interesting piece in that it was about it was a lot of first person from her perspective, which I thought I appreciated because she was like basically saying, look, I care about this issue. I've cared about this issue. But, you know, I'm the only Korean woman in the Harvard Law School faculty and 
people were asking me to care <laughs> about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, look, I get that, you know? I don't know how many... Tammy, I don't know how many people have asked you to write about anti-Asian violence, but look... You know, I think my they're like, is- Jay said no. Are you free? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> that is not true, but maybe there's one place like that, but, you know, like, I'm pretty sure that... Um, that that's not true. Uh, but I, uh, I, 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 so she goes on and she says like, look, I am, you know, and this is sort of genius, like interesting politics where Jeannie is sort of like a, you know, she's sort of like a free speech warrior, you know, like she is in some ways like a free speech warrior. And that comes from her history as a prosecutor. And, you know, a lot of her, uh, not, not, and sort of the problems that she had with, with that work. Right. And I think she has a very well-developed and interesting, argument on all these things mm. that and that some positions I think when not when you are being unfair to her might even seem reactionary to people mm. but they're not right they come out of a lot of her work and Jeannie is somebody I have a lot of respect for but this piece sort of goes through this like you know her she's like well you know I assume that it, there must have been some reason why he wrote this <laughs> and I <laughs> and I assumed because you know like I am a good faith person who you know even if I disagree politically with somebody will at least investigate their claims and take them seriously <laughs> that they must be serious and then she's like holy shit I went through all of it and it's all bullshit <laughs> you know like it's just weird like I just like has anyone gotten any clarity on how this happened just because it seems like such a collapse of yeah. scholarship it almost seems it almost seems crazy, you know, like it just seems like it doesn't make sense how it could come out. Like, I understand why yeah. someone like Ramsire might write this and want to believe right. that. But the shoddiness of the scholarship is like is the part that's yeah. so confusing. I, that's what Jeannie must. We should also about. mention that there's a there's several petitions, but one was like specifically like the I don't know if it was like a game theories of America. Um, oh, yeah, that was so interesting. But like yeah. eco- economists, <laughs> economists have denounced it. It get, this gets into the question of a like what is up with like game theory in in, in law schools, law which ec- we can talk about. Yeah. It also gets into this question of like, wait, what is up with it? I don't get it. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not in, I'm not in legal academia. Tammy could talk about this more, but my understanding is since the '90s, there's been a movement to just basically assume everyone is playing a game at all times in all these articles, <laughs> uh, and without having to prove it, like assuming that everyone's a utility maximizing individual. It's like the hegemony of like new liberal economics, you know, yeah. overtaking law schools. Um, starting from accurate. starting from the University of Chicago, right? Which is like yeah. fam- famously yeah. when new liberal economics kind of has a whole base. Did we sort of mention? We might have sort of mentioned this when we went through the when we were talking about the Supreme Court court packing and Aziz Rana and and Daniel Denver and Amna Akbar's um, episode mm. about you know the like how people are now trying to militate against the law and economics trend. But yeah, certainly like. It has been dominant. And I think it was a direct response to, you know, critical legal studies, not just critical race theory, but that group of sort of like realist, you know, thinking mm-hmm. um, for then the neolibs came in and we're like, no, everybody is all about money and games, you know. And then now I think with like law and political economy, like there's like now like Marxist and progressive mm. legal scholars who want to play with money, but do it in a way that actually makes sense <laughs> to push back. Okay. It's funny because there's only like five schools in the United States that do that, like are the are the home of legal academia, right? So you can like really track it. Like they all graduate That's from like, true, unfortunately. Right? Yeah. they all graduate from the small handful of the same law school. So you can actually track oh, yeah. what, dom- what is the dominant Yale. It's pretty messed up. What's and the other school? I thought it was just journals. Yale. Harvard, Yale. Yeah. Isn't Yale Chicago. the only one? I thought I thought Harvard lawyers all just went and went, were corporate they lawyers. They did, but that's where yeah. CLS started. Chicago's where yeah. law and oh. economics started. Oh yeah, you Chicago for sure. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And Every I, person I know who went to Yale Law School is not really a lawyer. Yeah, right that, that, it's like yeah. famous for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very dear friend of mine who uh, who is a lawyer now, but right after he graduated from uh, Yale Law School, spent like eight years writing a book about the disappearances in Argentina. <laughs> oh, really? That's actually <laughs> yeah. really cool. Yeah, because cool he's, yeah. A, no, he's a wonderful dude. And on the side, he would like flip mid-century modern furniture, like high-end. Mid- <laughs> he would buy like Eames lounges and then sell them to interior drag writers. Oh my God, stuff. that's hilarious. But, but I was like, I was like, I was like, you went to Yale Law School? And he's like, this is what people who went to Yale Law School do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also um, had like a an Andy-inspired like dig on Ramsayer that I wanted to present, which is that right now to be a legal scholar in a place like Harvard, generally you have to have a PhD. Yeah. So so generally you have like a training and some sort of methodology outside of just law. This guy doesn't have that and he's purporting to do history. I think people can do history without a history PhD, but hey, in hey. this case, this is, I know <laughs> Andy's like, no, you can't. Um, <laughs> but this, I think this is like incredibly shoddy. I also wanted to note that he is the Mitsubishi professor of law at Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that the Mitsubishi the Toyota Honda car company? Mitsubishi. Yes. It's- Kind is, of that, is that it or is it like it's the a, name? It's a, it's one of those like Mitsui, Mitsubishi, these companies in Japan that dating to the 19th century are in everything. So like Mitsubishi make cars, but TVs also and oh, everything. So it's like and they're LG also a bank. They're pro- I mean, they're China. primarily yeah. a bank. And honestly. they were, I mean, they used a ton of slave labor from the yeah. Japanese colonies. And so the 2018 mm. case that the Mitsubishi professor of law was commenting on was in fact against Mitsubishi as the primary yeah. defendant. Yeah. These are the, these are the big, you know, like, like Chep, they're like the ancestors to Chepel totally. in, in Korea, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, like like LG or China yeah, exactly. Or something like that. They were the model I, well, I, very much. Yeah. The, but Andy, go ahead. No, so like the, to go back to like how did this get through? This is a question a lot of people are asking. It's almost like I don't know if you have you all heard of the Sokol affair in the '90s, where this guy Alan Sokol. Oh yeah. Like intentionally no. writes a bullshit article using postmodern language and it gets it published, and then is like, haha, postmodernism a joke, is a right? sham. <laughs> and it's almost uh... like, and it's almost like, I don't think that's what he was doing, but it's almost like the same effect of like, this has exposed serious flaws in academia. Because uh, it was peer reviewed. It was peer reviewed, but A, nobody in that journal, uh, I guess they didn't care about finding Japanese readers to review it. B, I don't know if it's an A or B or one or two, but second point <laughs> is that, the, right, he was like economics and game theory to basically bulldoze them and Harvard to basically bulldoze the editorial process. Um, and that's why, so there's Japan scholars who are mad, obviously uh, Korean scholars are, mad and now economists are mad so um and i, I guess genie's mad too so harvard is mad too um. <laughs> well it, it, yeah that's that, so yeah maybe there's part of it that's that i mean remember when like those that like those dudes did that with uh like i don't know they like wrote a bunch of fake articles about like stuff that they would call social justice yeah like three stuff, two or three like years that, ago yeah. right yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. what? So like, I don't know if I know the, about this. It didn't actually blow up. I forget up, what his name was. Yeah. It was Eric Bogosian or something like that. I, okay. I forget what the guy's name is. But my, uh, yeah, that the postmodern thing is funny. Yeah. There, is, there used to be this site called the Postmodern Text Generator, and it would it would just create like completely nonsensical postmodern text. And one of my ideas That's in graduate funny. school when I was there for fiction, which, you know, this gives you a sense of how serious I was about actually writing fiction at the age of 23 is that I would try and write, have the postmodern text generator create stories for me, you know, and I would try and write stories only using words that the postmodern <laughs> text generator created. Um, yeah. 
Oh my god! Yeah, there was some point where my mother, I was telling my mother about, it and she's just like, "What are you doing?" You know? And I was like, "Well, you know, this is what's cool now. You know, I'm a it's experimental fiction mom. You know, leave me alone." The MFA was worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I had to get all that through my system, so maybe yeah, it's yeah. better. Um, we all go through those phases. <laughs> I know. I'm about to go through another one. You know, right now. I was like, what, how toxic can I be? And then just call oh it a, God. call it a, uh, call it a joke. Um, all right. Well, okay. So let's talk about this from like a political standpoint then, not in terms of the politics of the Academy, but in terms of Japan itself, right? Like, um, it, uh, there's a lot of people who have been writing about this who have said that this is sort of indicative of a new Japan as opposed to the Japan that would acknowledge this. Right. So like what, what's changed? Doing the jam, Tammy. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, because I, I think actually, I mean, the LDP, the Liberal Democratic Party in Japan, has been in power since the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without you know, so and I think this very much accords with their vision of history. And I think you know, certain prime ministers were slightly more progressive than others. There's also been a change in the emperor, and it's you know, people are wondering if. There might be a little bit of an easing or if it's actually going to be more regressive. There's that's unclear. But, you know, with regards to this sort of like Abe era that I think we're still in, even though yeah. he's just out, you know, this this is just this has been their consistent party line. I mean, Korea's done no you know, these people no favors because you know, Park Geun-hye sold out the Korean comfort woman, yeah, you know, right. by agreeing to a deal in 2015. And, um, yeah. you know, the Moon administration's trying to militate against that. But, you know, they've had their own issues with Japan. So I don't know. I To me, this is very much in line with, se- you know, 70 years of the LDP. What do you think, Andy? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm not an expert, but I think um, I, I'll defer to my friend Adam, who wrote a piece about this recently, who made an interesting point, which is that, um, this is Adam Bronson yeah, Adam writing Bronson. in Descent. Yes. Um, Look at that. How about how's that for citation, you fucking professors? I'm sorry. Uh, he just made sorry. this interesting point that I think. Well, so to back up for a second, Abe, if people don't know this, does have this appearance of being like the uh, very like modern, cool liberal prime minister. Kind of comes into power around the same time as Obama. So there's like I think analogies that. Abenomics is going to reinvent, you know, Japan, etc. But his background is he's part of this right wing group called Nippon Kaigi, which is like Japanese Congress or something very neutral sounding, but it's kind of like this extra governmental body that's very right wing, sort of like, you know, for, you know, we talked about India before, like there's the BJP, but there's also this group called the RSS that's kind of, I don't know if it's like the Federalist Society or like some sort of like dark, dark group, right? That's, um, that is in and out of power. And I don't know if this applies to the whole LDP, but like, I think it's been pretty well documented that Abe has connections to very right wing beliefs and groups in Japan. And so Adam was making this point that when Abe was coming to power in the nineties, you know, Japan in the seventies and eighties was very much this rising power. There was talk that Japan was seriously a threat to the United States as the number one power in the world. And then Japan has more or less been flatlining, uh, plateauing in terms of its global power since the mid nineties, obviously with the financial crash crash. And its position in Asia has really narrowed relative mm-hmm. to places like South Korea, but especially China. Yeah. And I well, think that is 
you know, not to like overly psychologize, but I think that is some context of the rise of Japanese right wing nationalism, which we don't even know if it's society wide. Like Adam thinks it's actually at the surface, and maybe not all Japanese people are super right wingers. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it might just be like at the political level. But for those poli- for those who are politicized in this direction, it might have been pushed to the extreme by the sense of um, we are almost like MAGA, right? Like we had this, we were great once, and now things are not going in our direction. So there's a sense of perhaps frustration, political frustration or geopolitical frustration. Let me just read from his piece, which is, and I want you to respond to it, either one of you. Abe's rise exacerbated what appears to be a growing gap between the increasingly progressive views of Japanese citizens and those of their elected representatives. However, pollsters also warn that strained relations between the Japanese government and its neighbors in East Asia, abetted by right-wing nationalists, have led to a marked increase Market increase, marketing, yeah, in the number of people holding prejudicial views of Chinese and South Korean immigrants. So is this like is this, is this what you're talking about? Sort of an anti-immigrant? Um, you know, I mean, Japanese people have always hated Korean people. Yeah, and I don't mean to say something that'll get me, but you know, yeah, yeah. come on, for sure, right? So there's always been yeah, the <laughs> Zainichi like underclass pe- is well documented. I know, you know, every time like uh, like white friends are just like, oh, I I really want to go to Japan. And everybody's like, eh. and then they're like, why? I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. It's really great there. You know, I don't want to be treated more like a second class citizen than I am here. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like I can't think of any place I'd go in the world where I might, you know, where it would be. I just look so Korean. You know, I'd be so self conscious. Um, but anyway, that's totally different. But um, is that my my more important question outside of my own travel angst is like, is there, <laughs> is this growing or is this just the same thing? You know? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think one thing is um, Chelsea kind of showed me a few Twitter accounts that are going off on this. So it's called, almost sort of like Japanese tankies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and everyone has a tank. Yeah, no, right. That's what I've read. Which is <laughs> right. Everyone is a tanky. And <laughs> So alongside this particular Ramsay article, they are also tweeting about like Uyghurs in China. And they're also randomly tweeting. Um, are they bots? No, I think, I mean, they're real people with like, I mean, uh, who knows? Oh. I have no idea. But um, I mean, they're like small accounts uh, that are just like retweeting each other. So which is to say that I think that's another context in which this article is coming out, which is yeah. um, animosity towards um, their enemies, quote unquote, in East Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And... The other thing that is, uh, this is completely anecdotal, but having I've been to Japan a few times the last decade or so, and it does feel like now that there's a lot more integration with Japan than the rest of East Asia, um, or the rest of Asia. Um, and I think that, the, I guess the irony is, or I don't know, I think, I think, just back up a second, I think there's a generational thing also that's happening, which is to say that, I, I mentioned this earlier too, uh, offline, that you know, Ramsay is coming from the 60s, 70s generation when someone from around the world would go to Japan and think of Japan as not even Asian, right? It's like this mm-hmm. basically honorary white country that yeah. is rich and industrial, and they have more in common with the United States and Europe than they do with the rest of Asia. That's like the 60s, 70s yeah. context. And I think people still think that way a lot yeah, of times. For sure. Right. Lot, and there's a yeah. lot of these sort of pet golden white boys who go to Japan yeah. and are like Ramsire and are sp- are speaking for Japan and bringing Japan glory in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? Yeah. And this new generation, I feel like anecdotally, and especially my friends who read this document, are very conscious of studying Japan as part of Asia. 
that's next to Korea, oh, that's, that's next to China, that's next yeah. to Taiwan and Southeast really Asia. That work. Yeah. yeah. The interesting thing about Ramsar from that perspective, just like totally pathologizing, most likely unfair personal <laughs> perspective, is that he grew up in Japan, right? right? So he's not like some dude who just got into Japan because he watched Shogun, you know, or something like that. <laughs> no, you know, I don't know. Wait, I don't so know how old Shogun. Is. Oh my god the james that clavell novel gigantic james clavell yeah, yeah, yeah. book is that about is that about it has to be about I japan no i've never read the book. must be about yeah yeah, yeah. but i've read yusagi yojimbo the great rabbit samurai <laughs> i don't know like what <laughs> i don't know how old this dude is that would have been my generation but um you know he grew up in japan and so it, yeah. it, it, that is a little bit different for him the uh the other question i had was like how much of this do you think is based on the idea that like korea can demand these things now, right? So Korea is demanding like ninety-two thousand dollars or so, right, for each of the twelve, um, each of the twelve people who came forward. Before Japan would have just laughed at them, right? But now Korea is, a, you know, is in a much more dominant position economically, right, and ter- diplomatically, geopolitically, certainly. And I don't know if you know, I don't know if it's right to say they have surpassed Japan, but. I don't know. They've probably surpassed Japan, at least in terms of like maybe social capital. Pr- not, yeah. not yeah, not in terms cultural of cultural production. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. So the, yes, cultural yeah, production. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like economically, not like, yet. In ter- but, like yeah. one is going up. Right. Yeah, but I, I guess more what I'm saying is <laughs> one is going way up, and the other, yeah, and the other one is kind of going down. You know, yeah. And so um, that would. How much of this is 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 just sort of that? Like, because you know, Korea. How much is this Japan just being like, you're still Korea, we're still Japan, you don't get to ask us for stuff. And then Korea just being like, actually, you know, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but I've been working out, you know, like how much of it is that type of dynamic? <laughs> I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, I think that whole like Japanese cool wave was in some ways an inspiration for some of the Korean soft power strategy that was deployed. Definitely. But Korea's been more successful, you know per capita, yeah. like yeah. with what the money they've spent on it. Um, I think the the rapidity with which the LDP has pursued the comfort women issue, it does speak to that. Like all of the little girl statues all over the world that they just fight tooth and nail to take down, like in mm. Palisades Park, New Jersey, or like Glendale, California. It's like San Francisco. San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. we're talking about essentially like culturally performative gestures on the margins in different countries and they absolutely freak out and spend like millions of dollars to take these down to try to fight them you know i think there's also um a feeling you know in the abe camp like abe didn't get a lot of what he wanted you know i mean abenomics was kind of a bit of a joke and it didn't mm. really do anything and then on top of that he was pushing a war economy where in which he wanted to revise the peace yeah. constitution and you know mil- further militarize the country which essentially does already have a standing army but wanted to like you know make that and that didn't really work out for him so i think there is some some kind of angst from that um but you know i think what's interesting about the the cases is you know my reading of them is that you know they are legal cases and laws always like has a kind of performative and symbolic element. But in these cases, they are like very much so because nobody's really expecting Japan to come to court and pay. Yeah. Um, but they're okay. still really like they and don't, pushing they're not things, expecting right? any, nobody's expecting Japan to actually give into this. I don't think so. I mean, okay. you know, realistically hmm. speaking, because there's no jurisdiction, right. you know, Japan would have to actually show up in court and submit itself to the Korean courts. And that's not really happening. And, you know, right. I, that's part been, of their argument, right? Like you have yeah. no you have no right to drag us into this. You don't have any jurisdiction, which seems true. And but think, like, yeah, like in terms of 
brute force. Like that is true. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think it speaks to the fact that this is also like a, a campaign that um, on the social kind of on the um, civil society level, that's intended to say, like, you guys all thought that with the death of all of the, com- the comfort women, which now is approaching, there's only a handful of women mm-hmm. who are still speaking and surviving, that this would go away. But you know what? It's not going away. Yeah. And and so cool. I think like the whole thing about, you know, the the demand is not just for money, but for this kind of program of social reparations where like the Japanese actually have to fix their textbooks and actually have to acknowledge what happened. Like that stuff is more important. And the lawsuits are just a way of speaking about that. But then the Japanese government is always fixating on, well, we already apologized with Kono and we already gave them yeah. money through the Asian Women's Fund. But really, like in a way, these conversations have always talked past each other because that's not really fundamentally what the demand is. Yeah. Why is Korea so motivated um, to push this right now? You know, I know that they've been pushing it forever, but like, what is it about this moment where, you know, the demanding, you know, demanding that Japan appear in court, all this sort of stuff? Like, why why is it reaching this point right now? Yeah, and it seems to be escalating. If anything, right? Is it just because Japan refuses, or is there some sort of like geopolitical soft power type of? ambition behind this that might be below the surface right like are they trying to show japan that japan has to do what they say in this matter where they have like worldwide right obviously this is the right one to pick because like people like everyone from the un to like you know historians people around the world ngos whatever they all think that japan should do this or that japan was complicit in this this is something that nobody agrees that japan you know nobody agrees with ramsire basically right japan did something wrong so this is the right place to push japan to try and do something is that is that part of it is korea just trying to say we can make you do stuff now you know it's hard to know because the the two cases that we've talked about so far this particular comfort woman case and the mitsubishi case i mean those have been pending for many years before they reached mm-hmm. the judgments so i don't really know what the answer to that is i mean i can say they exist within they exist in a time in which there is an ascendant there has been an ascendant feminist movement in korea they exist in a time that japan is we- weaker soft power wise so maybe it's kind of like a combination of that stuff i mean certainly the fact that we're now in a you know, what was supposed to be and maybe is not so progressive, but this progressive administration in Korea has made a difference mm. Mm. because we're talking about the moon infrastructure and and, and um, the courts and stuff. So so that that has that has to be part of it, you know, is but a, I don't know. Is that a thing that politicians in Korea will talk about, like as as part of their campaign, like definitely find justice? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of one of the symbolic, like in the same way that like it was symbolic and important for me as a college student, like it is one of the kind of like menu items of, you know, our past couple of generations of politicians. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing that's interesting is that um, in terms of like why now or like why, why Ramsire is that um, between Japan and South Korea, right? There's like, no, they're not going to like believe the other side. So this quote unquote impartial or third party that gets brought in to adjudicate this is the United States and is Harvard professors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and that, and that is, um, you know, I mean, was, there's a point that Chelsea was kind of saying, like it's through the English language of all places that a lot of this stuff yeah. gets adjudicated um, maybe because of the distrust, but also because of, between two sides, but also because of like the colonial like post-war imperial relationship totally. where the United States is kind of the one backing Japan as their home base in East Asia and they're backing South Korea and they're, various leaders and the united states has always taken this position that they just want this to get to to be done with because south korea and japan are their two biggest allies um mm-hmm. two of their biggest allies in east asia so they don't want fighting between the two of them Definitely. so i don't know what the united states 
they don't have a position probably they just want it to be over with so that um they could uh, contain china <laughs> yeah i think that's right yeah. i mean you know they'll sometimes be just like very kind of subtle rhetorical nods to this conflict like oh we really want our allies to get along sort of thing but yeah i don't think i can't think of a time recently where a u.s president has been like this is what somebody needs to do yeah. in public anyway yeah. i don't think they would ever say that do you think so i was thinking about this analogy to reparations in the u.s right in the u.s the argument is something like reparations are needed because this is like the foundation for like the world we live in today like white supremacy or systemic racism um are there are there arguments in the South Korean discourse about not just that this bad thing happened, but that it somehow extends into the present um, in terms of what's wrong with Korean society or what's wrong with, um, you know, like, you know, male, female, you know, gender dynamics in Korea and things like that, or their relationship between Japan and Korea? I think definitely the the bilateral relationship that, you know, none of this can move, none of that can move forward. And this includes like over the past couple of years, like the trade wars between Japan and Korea and the boycotts, like all of that is kind of wrapped up in this too. So a little bit of a sort of like affective position, you know, where, where the two are and that like, essentially you can't be a good neighbor unless you acknowledge what happened in history. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a little different than reparations debate because we're still talking about victims who like the literal victims as opposed to the descendants of the victims. And, um, you know, and we know the specific companies that were responsible for particular things. I guess another thing we haven't mentioned is that a lot of the stuff you need to do the litigation and to know the history is still relatively new because mm. just the documentation, like the stuff that historians have to work with you know it's not like those have been sitting around in public view since 1945 so mm. i think some of that is like an archives question yeah yeah um mm. or the lack of right like they yeah can't, they can't find anything exactly or ramsar right. can't find anything well he definitely can't <laughs> he didn't try very hard i don't think so <laughs> he found like one contract that was for like a bar for like a bar waitress right? yeah which is like and that wasn't serious? even a, for like, like a korean it wasn't even specified that the person was korean or something like that it was just so weird it's just um yeah and that was like his like that was like the only proof he had um I don't yeah, know. Maybe and- it's just getting some takes off. I have no <laughs> idea. It's so confusing. It really is confusing to me. I I'll believe anything about yeah. why that thing was allowed to be put out. You know, like I'll believe anything except that. And I'll even believe that he was just lazy and just decided to throw it out there. But like, it's just so weird. It's like, how, you know, this dude. It's not like it's this dude. Embarrassing. It's not like he's like a blogger or something like that. You know, <laughs> like he was just throwing out takes and like this is the first thing he ever wrote. Like this is it. It is kind of a deviation. Well, Genie I wonder goes if he over. had like grad students work on it. Like it is super weird. I don't know. You know? Some bad grad students then. Yeah. Oh. I mean, the other, the other thing is, it doesn't seem like he actually writes about Japan ever. Like not even like history, just like Japan studies. Yeah. So you said like he was. His connection is that he would live there growing up, and I guess he's the Mitsubishi professor. But he doesn't. <laughs> I think his his main thing is like I don't know some some other field of like legal. Academia, oh really? Well, because Genie right. in her article mentions briefly that he had been known for. Um, uh, some critiques of like the way that the Japanese economy was understood after the the war. Okay. So, he, but I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not familiar with his work. I mean, yeah, I think I, I was glad that you pointed out and listed some of the names, Andy, because Chelsea works in Japan, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and, and Sayaka, I think does too. She's um, in, she's yeah. in, she's in, this is all public information. She's at uh, NUS in Singapore. Oh, she's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, 
Yeah, I just, I think it's really important for us also to recognize that there is a separation between, I mean, sort of as Adam was saying, although maybe, you know, I'm worried there aren't as many progressive people maybe as the, as Adam would think, but like, uh-huh. there certainly is a gap between, you know, the progressive population of Japan and the government policies. Like, there have always been incredible allies to the comfort women's struggle in Japan. So, you know, I, I feel like I've been saying so much like, oh, the Japanese, but like, it's not the Japanese, it's like certain Japanese right. people. Um, and also in Korea, there are right wing Koreans who are like the comfort woman were whores, yeah. you know, who are totally really? aligned huh. with the LDP. So it's not, you know, to get out of the kind of nationalist framework, like we're talking about very opportunistic what, yeah. politicians. What's up with like, class. how do you say her name? Pak Yuha? Yuha? Like what, what's up with her? <laughs> oh, I, I mean, are you talking about the woman who had the, the, but um, she's, she's Korean. She's from or? Korea, right? And she yeah. she studies she works in Japan and she wrote an article she wrote a book that basically questions where does the comfort woman um, whether it's real right and she's like and Jeannie kind of holds her up as an example of like well at least she did research but but she's kind of like the most famous denialist I guess or the most legitimate denialist um, but yeah, she's but she's Korean descent so it's interesting. it seems like there's a line though about whether she's saying that it didn't exist at all or whether she wanted to look at some of the ambiguities that exist in this sort of like emotional systems of slavery. Okay. And I don't know because I haven't read the book. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess I'm curious what, I mean, I know Jay, you're a free speech absolutist. I mean, in this kind of case where there's like, and I think that's what Jeannie says too. And even like Tessa yeah. Mara Suzuki, who is obviously hates the Ramsayer piece, but like wrote very judiciously about like, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not opposing like his right to be wrong, but mm-hmm. um but in this case where like in a case like this where somebody tries to is saying they do history but it's actually garbage, what is the proper academic position? Well, I mean, I think it's okay to retract an article yeah. if it's if it, yeah, because like it's not a question of for that one it's not really a question of like, oh, is this is this is this person allowed to say this or not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's literally just like, oh, of course, he's allowed to say this, but he's not allowed to say this in this place where we have standards, you know? And so I think they're a little bit, um, like, I think it's totally fine for him to have this position and to use this stuff as evidence, yeah. you know? But um, I think that if a journal wants to keep its integrity, it should not allow, yeah. it should retract the piece, you know? Like, so, and I, I that seems like that's sort of the, that's, like, the that's sort of the, the seems, right? He, right. And I, I, I think Gene and I probably actually have somewhat similar thoughts about mm-hmm. this you know about speech in general which is just kind of like i don't yeah. know you know Ram, yeah ramsayer is have, he's already saying free <laughs> speech as his defense and there's oh like he's being canceled and oh japanese, my god <laughs> the japanese like defenders of ramsayer are saying if this gets retracted then i will no longer believe the united states has free speech or something like that oh really uh, <laughs> It's like what a troll. Listen, <laughs> it's so been funny. a tough month for us free speech absolutists, you know. Not a few, I, I'll say it's been a tough four years for free speech absolutists. <laughs> it's very difficult when you're like uh, one of your positions is completely overtaken by charlatans and idiots, you know. And then you're just like, yeah, I guess I have to say it's fine, you know. But I wish you weren't so fucking stupid. You know? <laughs> also, you're making me seem really exactly, stupid yeah. too. But <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? You know, um, I I can't. Um, I've felt this way. I don't know. It's probably the only consistent thought I've had since like I was 16 and on the debate team. So I can't abandon it now. Um, <laughs> all right. Is there anything else? Uh, we're at one hour right now, which seems good. I think we can get an episode in under oh an hour God. and 30 minutes. And it was I think I think we did a great. Well, I don't know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but is there anything else you want to talk about? I feel I feel like this is like sort of thorough and 
um, and, and uh, as much as we could do in a podcast about. Yeah, this, I mean, right? it's interesting because it's we don't we don't know what's what's going to happen next. Ramsar hasn't said anything next, and yeah. um, it does seem like the first stage is that everyone is universally against it. There's no controversy. So the next question is sort of like, is there a response and are we going to find out interesting things about, you know, whether or not um, how it got passed in the first place. And if there's like consequences for that. Um, I do think it's, it's interesting. It's like on the one hand, it's a very elite concern. Like a bunch of academics are basically like, you know, checking each other's notes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like the entire country of of Korea is really mad about it. And like, uh, and that's because they care about Harvard, which they shouldn't. But <laughs> so you know, it's not like everyone in Korea is mad about it. Is like a, is like an academic, right? Like if if it's front page news, and presumably other people are mad about it. Are, I mean, you... I guess it would depend what front page is. The front page <laughs> of the of the of the Korea History Journal. You know, <laughs> I assume that front page meant like the newspapers. Are you? I mean, have you all heard about this in your amongst like your family or your friends uh, who are not? into like politics or you know following the news that closely about this stuff well there's no separation (laughs) my parents haven't said anything about it but i'm sure my mom is following it i don't know yeah i think Um, my parents have been following it loosely but i i I read about it first in the u.s media or like from a friend who had emailed me about it um but i've been reading i read like a translation essentially like a summary translation of genie's article in korean the other day which is fairly accurate and then there was um, another article just today that was like two thousand historians object. So, oh really? <laughs> and that is boomerang yeah, yeah. back into Korean media. Yeah, so many. There's so many. Like it was like worldwide. I didn't even know so many. I know. Uh, like there's that many historians exist. Historians. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know it existed. I know, Andy. Where's your signature? Know. Com- you know, silence is complicity. <laughs> do we do we think? I mean, what do we think about this whole like historians rise up or you know Harvard Academy Harvard faculty rise up again? Like, is that good or bad? Is that what they're doing? No, no. I'm just like this whole like idea of a petition that's so professional, but so so like along professional lines, like. Oh, I don't know how I feel about yeah, that. I don't know. Do you, uh, ask me on a day when I'm not mad at everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. It's not a good time to have. I mean, I think like, They should good. just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They should shut up and take their tenure checks and leave me alone. I mean, what's interesting about it is, like, I've read a lot of the um, comfort women literature, like, outside of history as well, like, in sociology or performance studies or, like, whatever. And and I think um, some in some of those disciplines, those people have more intimate relationships with the comfort women survivors and activists because they Im- are employing, like, ethnographic methods. And so, um, you know, I think, like, history is kind of interesting to me because it's, like, a bit detached yeah. by yeah, comparison. Very detached. Very detached. And, like, no, but I think, but I think this know. case... This case is interesting again because we get closer to the present. These people are alive. Oral yeah. history is a, is a thing. Um, yeah. Interviewing is a thing, but um, nobody trains us to do it. We just kind of like I bullshit see. our way through it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. it's interesting. This whole like idea of a guild is like kicking out its own member. It's like yeah, that's good. On the other hand, who cares? I don't know. It's a little gatekeepy, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it, I don't know. I don't think that, I don't know. It, it just depends what his explanation is, right? If his explanation is like, I just took money and somebody else wrote this thing, then obviously that's like a problem, you know? If he's just like, hey, I just was lazy and I put out a bad take, I'm sorry. Then, you know, that's a little different. And it doesn't mean it's excusable. It's just not like, you know, 
uh, it just seems like it's not the same thing as other bad possibilities, given how bad it was, right? Um, yeah. Anyway. I'm curious who's um, going to take okay. class next semester. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's going to be all, it's going to be all like Jordan Peterson. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Be like, you were canceled. You know, teach us your ways. Yeah. And they'll probably, you know, whatever. Maybe they'll get a good legal education. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to our show. Tammy, I'm cutting us off just because your voice signal once again disappeared. And I'm worried that maybe we're missing some of it. So um, do you see that your little squiggle bar is gone? No, it's But really uh, the last few times it's been okay. Uh, I'm not. And um, yes, please support us through our Patreon. Uh, you can you both get bonus episodes and you get access into our Discord sl- uh, chat group, which is really firing now. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, these people talk to each other all day long. It's great. Um, you know, there are a lot of you can t- if you want somebody to talk about Korean dramas, like K dramas with on Netflix. Oh my god, you know. Or if you want suggestions on food, if you want to talk about uh, leftist politics, if you want to talk about coronavirus. If you want to theorize about why Jay keeps getting into fights with people, all those topics are under conversation at our <laughs> on, on the Discord. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a lot of cool things that uh, the users have started doing with each other. They screen movies with each other. They, you know, they they might start screening Korean dramas and talking to each other while they watch it. I don't know. It's a wonderful community, especially during a too. pandemic. They're reading marks together. I I've never. Um, I wish that I had this community when I was in. Like younger, you know, and I'm glad I have it now. But uh, you know, if you, it just seems cool. Anyway, thank you for everyone for participating in that. And uh, let's see, what else do I have to say? Oh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, then you know you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter. Our DMs are open. Um, Andy and Tammy's aren't, but mine are. We don't have to. And yeah, and it's not that hard. <laughs> uh, time to say goodbye. Our Twitter, TTSG Pod, uh, the DMs are open there as well, and you can always get in touch with us whenever you'd like. Uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>